Good morning. Oh my goodness. Don't you wish you could just start every morning like that? I'm like, Chris, you make me believe in Jesus. <laughs> For anyone who had a like sleepless night or something, you're like, I am encouraged by your faith. That's how I feel. Um, I've learned so much from you guys. My family and I have been so blessed uh, being here this week as your, as your first timers. I will say, no one told us this morning at Pancake Ridge that you had to get in the line. So I hold that against each and every one of you who have been here before us. So we were just sitting on the bench waiting for our pancakes. <laughs> and... I felt like we were the, the people who always have like basic economy on the airline and like never, you know, you don't get a seat or a place for your bag. We were like, okay, we're, we'll be in the line now. But we got our pancakes and they were delicious. And someone told us it was important that we didn't go first because the second batch of pancakes is better than the first. So all in all, God redeemed it as he does. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I'm glad that I hope your heart feels like you've, you've come into this place and you're, you're ready to receive from the Lord. Um, I, I, just, I just think so much about our daily life is distracting and we get to come to this place and receive. I've learned so much. My husband and I have enjoyed Richard's teaching so much just to be together. And I think worship like that just softens our hearts so that we can enter into the stream of what God is doing because this morning we're gonna go to school together a little bit. So I want you to, to engage your mind. I'm glad I get the morning session because I wanna get the best of your mind this morning because although God comes to us, as we heard from Richard and as I spoke about on Tuesday, Tuesday with the woman caught in adultery, that it's on, on God's character that we are saved. He's not waiting for us to get it together. He's not waiting for you to be faithful. He's not waiting for you to be the one who comes. He already has not condemned you. That forgiveness is an unconditional promise and that Jesus acts in his character, that God acts in his character. God is faithful to us. Jesus does not condemn us. So the work is not what we're doing there, but there is a work to be done. We do actually have a work to do in faith. In John chapter six, it sounds like this. Jesus was talking and Jesus had been doing all of these miracles with his disciples. So he has now just like fed the 5,000 and he's walked on water and he's with his disciples and the, the people start coming around him and the followers are coming again and they're saying, why are you looking? They're saying, we wanna find you and how did you get here? And Jesus says what he does often is that Jesus says challenging things. And so if any of you are here and thinking, I feel like everyone around me is getting it and I go to read my Bible and I don't get it, I just, let me make it clear. Jesus says challenging things. He says challenging things that are hard sometimes to understand at first. And when we're engaging with our, with our faith and we're trying to really be with him, you might feel like, ooh, I just, sometimes I don't get what he's, what he's getting after. So let's look at what he says. If you take it at its word, you're like, this is challenging. And Jesus says, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So then they ask what would be a normal question because he said, do not work for that food that spoils. So they said, well, then what works do we need to do? This is verse 28 in John 6. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires then? And this is what Jesus answered. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the followers say to him, what works should we do to show that we believe you? Because Jesus, you're saying these hard things. You showed us the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So we're saying, hey, more of that. And you showed us walking on water and we're saying more of that. And you're telling us, no, that's not what it is. So then tell us what it is. 
What works do we do to show you that we believe you? And Jesus says, there's only one work. He answers in the singular when they ask in the plural. What actions, God, can I show you that I really mean it? And Jesus says, there's only one action. There's only one work to believe the one he sent. So our work together as believers is to believe. But there's a work to be done in our hearts and in our minds to believe what God says is true. So this morning, I want to lay out for you what I think can be a cycle of growth when you are feeling like you are stuck in patterns that have been in your life for a long time. And we all have these. We all have these places where we have an ebb and flow. It has to do with our temperament. It has to do with our upbringing. It has to do with our circumstances where we see the same things kind of showing up over and over again in our lives. And and what hurts, what grieves me so much in the faith, and I'm going to draw some pictures for you today, um, and we'll get to them in a minute on this, this, but I'm just going to make you a circle. What grieves me in the faith is that God invites us to be in the middle of his triune love, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Spirit, to be in this circle of safety and growth and transformation. And so many people in Christian faith are like out over here. And and they're claiming it with their minds, but they're not living into this belief. And it just makes me sad because I'm like, this is where you get to know your father. Do you know how I know when this is happening with someone? Is I'll ask them the question, and I may ask you this week. And I I ask them the question, um, how has God been changing you in the last year? And, And they tell me their testimony from when they were in high school. And I'm like, are you still living on the faith of your testimony from high school? I'm sad. I mean, it's true. Like, God has saved you. When we cross over from death to life, we have crossed over. But if you've crossed over from death to life and you're just standing on the death to life line, and you're like, I'm just going to stand right here on this line until I finally get to heaven. I'm like, there's so much more for you this way. And what God invites us to is a life where we are constantly growing toward that glory that Richard's been speaking of, toward the image of Christ, where he's actually changing us to me sort of on the spiritual molecular level to be different people. He's changing the essence of us. And so what I think Jesus was saying to his followers is this isn't going to be an outside works kind of thing. But when you do the work of believing me, inside of you is going to be different. Rather than thinking to yourself, I need to be patient with my mother-in-law, you're going to actually just be patient with your mother-in-law. Does that make sense? Rather than thinking, this is who I have to become, you're going to be becoming it as you live into this cycle that we're going to be talking about today. So if any of you have been thinking from Monday and Tuesday, Monday we talked about life as a choice. How do we choose intentionally to live in God's reality? And Tuesday we talked about this idea of how do I live honestly with myself? And I spoke with some of you at mealtime and things like that, and you were like, oh, it's a lot. I haven't heard this before. But today's really going to be about how we just do that practically. How do we practically live out, we're curious about our life in a way that allows us to engage? Because so many of us are feeling like I'm in this, this pattern where I just keep repeating the same things over and over again, and I don't quite know how to experience who God is and what he's offered for me. So... Just because grace is a gift doesn't mean that there isn't actually a willful belief that we engage with. Belief is the work we do in our faith. How do we grow in our belief in our own personal lives and then around us? So Matthew 16, love this verse. 
This kind of picks up on where we left off on Tuesday. This is what Jesus describes when he says, what is it gonna be like to live into my life? If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Let me just qualify. If you try to hang on to your life, what do we mean by that? I mean the life that you can see with your eyes, the reality that you believe to be true, the part of you that says this won't ever be different or I'm not really worth it or I'm not gonna experience the kind of freedom that I see in other people, whatever that operating system is, if you try to hang on to the way that you understand life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, your understanding of that reality for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, as a person who grew up in the faith and went to many, many different churches, I was an army brat. We moved all the time. I mentioned to you guys before that my parents became believers in their 20s right here in the Bay Area. And then we moved around. And so every time we moved, we also had to go to like four to 12 different churches to find like the Bible-believing church. So I am the biggest spiritual mutt. I can just, I can do liturgy, kneel, pray, hands up, hands down, hands here, whatever. I've done them all. And I, I did all of that. And what happens is you start to know the right answers for all the questions because you're the new kid and you want to you have the right answers. So I lived for a long time where I believed I kind of already had the life that, that Christ was offering. And I would read this verse and I would think what Jesus is saying is that he's going to take away all the things that I love. And he's going to take away all the things that I'm comfortable with. And that's scary. Like, what is he saying? I just have to live this, like, self-flagellating life where I'm just constantly being martyred and crucified in my life. And I believed that to be true because I was not, I was not connected to my reality. And as grace began to work in my life, I realized, oh, no, what, what this actually means is, yes, I do have to lose my life. But I get to lose my shame, I get to lose my guilt. I get to lose the ways that I'm striving to make life work. Does that make sense? Like Jesus is saying, losing your reality is not just about the things that are hard for you to give up. It's about the things that you, you just wish you could give up. You just want to get rid of them. Like, oh, please, please take my anxiety. Please take these fears. Please take this. Jesus is offering us and he's saying, but to do that, I need the whole thing. I need all of you. I need your whole heart. Remember Richard talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. The word there for all in the Greek is holos. It's the same place that we get the idea of holistic. So holistic living is very big in our culture right now. Mind, body, spirit, connection. And that's from Jesus. He says, yes, I want to take your whole mind and your body and your spirit. And in a holistic way, we're going to engage in who I really am. But we have to know who God really is in order to engage in that and where we might be missing pieces of that. Because God is an integrated being. God is all together. So backstage, just a second ago, we were talking. I feel like this might be a perfect analogy for this. So anyone as a musician in the room, anyone play music or took lessons? Let me start there. I took flute lessons for two weeks in eighth grade. I only had the piece that you blow into. I never even got to put the other piece on it. So I'm, I'm including myself as a person who's taken music lessons, okay? So for the majority of us who have taken music lessons, maybe you got a little further than me. Maybe you can play a few tunes on the piano. You might say, I know how to play music. You might not consider yourself musical. You have the trait of, of having some music lessons, right? Well, backstage, we were talking about Dave Talbot. And then he was here this morning. And it's just, he just exudes music. He has this talent that goes far beyond, this gift from God that goes far beyond. It's just who he is. And maybe you have known some musicians like this. I remember when I first met my friend Tyler, I was like, Tyler, do you play the piano? And then the person next to us was like, well, no. I mean, he plays the piano and the guitar 
and the fiddle and the oboe and the flute and named also some instruments I never heard of. And I'm like, what? How do you do that? Because I may have the trait of a music lesson, but not be musical in that sense. So what I want you to know about God's integration as a being is he doesn't just have traits for you, like I have a trait of love for you, but it's his essence at all times, which means that even when you read challenging passages in scripture or you go through a challenging season of life, you can rest assured that the essence of God does not change and that when we understand the fundamental character of God, we can use that as our starting point for how we interpret our reality. Does that make sense? So if I'm feeling like I'm in a difficult season and where is God in this and where, I can go back to be like, no, what is the essence of God that has not changed? My reality is that this thing is so difficult and I feel like God has forsaken me and I, I don't feel like I'm hearing from him. But what do I know in my willful belief to be true of God? And if you don't know those things like deep in you, to know, okay, wait, when I'm experiencing this reality that my eyes can see, I want to go back to this reality, which is my spiritual life. Because Jesus has told me that in order to find my life, I must lose that. That I have to be willing to give up my interpretation of my reality and come over here and say, God, what do you tell me is true about you and about the world and about me? And so that's what we're going to do this morning is look at how God is an integrated being. So it's going to be on the screen for you. I'm also going to draw it. I'll put some references in. Can you not see? I'll leave it up here too. So you'll see it up here. So we're going to start here. Okay, so this is obviously not nearly encompassing of who God is. So please just umbrella of grace over my head right now. This is my best interpretation for foundation, okay? God is... His ways are so much higher than our ways. But I think he gives us something to start with. So God's integrated being. How do we experience freedom in God? The starting point is love. If we are going to change and be transformed, the starting point is always love. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It's a starting point of his essence. Love we know because of how God has shown his love. 1 John 4, this is how we know what love is. God sent his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Think about what you say when you want someone to believe what you're telling them. Cross my heart and hope to die, right? Think about what it means. The greater the love, the greater we try to acknowledge that love through sacrifice. God has shown us the greatest form of love through the sacrifice of his son. I remember once I was talking to a guy, I'd been teaching about God's love, and he was an engineer, and he said to me, um, he said, I want to tell you a story about, I understand what you mean about when you really mean it, when you really want someone to understand that you're true, that you mean it, you make a sacrifice so that they'll know that your love is really there. And he said, you know, I'm this chief engineer on this gas line, and my job was to repair this gas line and to be the overseer of, of this gas line being repaired. And so what you have to do when there's a leak in a pipeline is you have to flush the pipeline, flush all the gas out of the pipeline so that the welder can come in with his sparks and fix the pipeline. And he goes, so I'm the chief on this project and, and it's time for my lunch break. And so I'm going to go get my sandwich. And the chief welder comes up to me and he says, I'm not, I'm not getting on that pipeline. And he's like, why? He's like, because I'm the guy with the sparks. How do I know that the gas has all been emptied from the line? And so my friend Sam said, so I told him, hold on a second, it's my lunch break. And he goes, and I got my sandwich and I went down to the pipe and I straddled the pipe and started eating my sandwich and said, go ahead and weld it. 
There's something in us that understands that when we really mean it, we put our life on the line. If we really mean it. And what God said is, I'm going to put my son's life on the line so that you'll understand my love. Like, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for your sin as an expression of God's love for you. It starts with love. The reason that love is the ultimate principle that we start understanding God from is because nobody changes outside of love. You can change externally. You can do behavior modification Girl, you can wash your face, you can drink your water, you can work out, but if you don't change because of love, love is the only thing that truly changes people. Shame will make you change on the outside. Love transforms. So how do we know if we're living in God's love? Because we feel an increasing sense of security and vulnerability. So the fruit of love is security and vulnerability in your heart. Like you feel more like you can be honest with who you really are. You feel more like you can express your fears and say what's really going on inside of you, whether in prayer with a trusted friend. You begin to feel like you're able to say who you really are. In our childhood, as we begin to be hurt, we start to cover who we really are because it is the most precious part of you. The most essential part of you is your soul. The deepest part of you is that place that is much more vulnerable and insecure than we like to let on. And as we begin to experience God's love, we open up into security and vulnerability. And because of that, we're able to receive the next part of God's character, which is truth. John 8, 32, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Jesus said so plainly, I am the way and the truth and the life. As we are open in our hearts, we become more secure, we open up in vulnerability, the result will be that we're able to receive God's truth, his truth about who we really are, which we spoke about on Tuesday morning, the truth about our limitations, about our brokenness, about how that anger we're carrying is actually just covering up hurt, about the places where we actually haven't forgiven ourselves or others, about our dreams, it's not just bad things, our dreams and our hopes, we begin to come into the truth. And many people will say to me, I have so many competing voices in my mind, how do I know what the truth is? Well, we know from the book of Hebrews that God said that in the past, the prophets told who God was, but in these days, the son expresses who God is. So as we get to know Jesus, we get to know the truth. As we get to know Jesus, we get to know the truth. So Jesus says that the truth is that you should forgive your enemies. That Jesus said that the truth is that you should cross social boundaries. The truth is that you will live in mercy. He gives us a lot of truth to work with. And we begin to live into that truth. And at this point, what happens is that we realize that we are helpless. That we have an inability to fix ourselves. We come face to face with the fact that we are unable to help ourselves and hopefully that we desire wholeness. We come to a place where we say, oh gosh, you're, you're showing me what's true. And when you show me what's true, I feel conviction. And I realize, oh, I can't fix that myself, but I desire to be made whole. Just yesterday, I was walking, there's this challenging season my husband and I are in, and I was walking and I was thinking about that season and I felt a voice sort of come to me and say, you didn't see that because you did not want to see that. 
You didn't see that thing because you did not want to see that thing. How do you know that God is speaking to you? It comes out of nowhere, lands in your brain, and you think, I would never think that about myself, (laughs) first of all. But the most important thing is that God's voice is always a loving voice. It says, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. If you've got a boss in your head, if you've got a mean coach in your head, if you have an authoritative dad in your head, if you have a bossy mom in your head, that's not the Lord. God comes in love into our hearts. We know when there is a voice that has no condemnation because that voice that said that to me, which is a very, it was very hard for me to hear, had no condemnation in it. As you begin to grow in this place, when you come off the sidelines and into the game, when you begin to grow in this place, you will start to recognize that voice of the Spirit when it brings conviction. So what was my response to that? Oh, Lord, I didn't see. I have a blind spot. Will you forgive me? It leads us to that next place of God's essence, which is forgiveness. We experience love, which opens us up to be vulnerable. We hear God's truth, and we feel this conviction, oh, Lord, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. I haven't, I haven't followed your word. I haven't kept your commands. And that brings us to forgiveness. Forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We often talk about that our faith is not transactional. You know, we're not gonna do this and we get this. We do this and we get this. This is a transactional verse. Hey, if you confess your sins, God is always faithful and always just because it's his nature to forgive your sin. It's a constant. It's 100% true. It's never not true. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's always true. If you confess, he will forgive. If you confess, he will forgive. Why? Not because you are faithful and just, but because he is faithful and just. There is nothing better about our faith than the fact that we hang our faith on the character of God. We never hang our faith on the character of us. When I say to God, hear my prayer, O God, I don't say hear my prayer, O God, because I am faithful and just. I say hear my prayer, O God, because you are faithful and just. There is so much confidence because we are calling on the confidence of Christ. God has given that to us. So when I say, God, forgive my sin because you are faithful and just, who am I to turn that down? He's not saying, let me, let me evaluate if you really are sorry. He's saying, because of my character, I forgive. Because of my character, I forgive. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. Matthew 9, you guys know this story from VBS. You've heard it, you know, the paralytic dropped through the roof. Everybody loves that story. I just, I love it too. I love that story. Here come these guys. They're bringing their friends. They, they drop them. We all love it because they, they don't follow the rules and they don't get in line. And they're like, here we go, Jesus, right in front of Jesus, right? So here's this guy. And I love this. You just imagine this guy laying out on a mat. I mean, could the problem be more clear? Like everybody's standing up and one person's laying down, right? You know, so here's the problem, right? And Jesus says, take heart, son. Be encouraged. That's what that means. Take heart actually means put courage in you. Pharseo is the Greek word. Take heart. Get up and walk. New. Your sins are forgiven. So in the midst of everybody standing up and everybody around him and the most obvious physical condition in front of him, Jesus addresses a more important problem. The spiritual condition was of higher priority than the physical condition. And he says, but so that you'll know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. Isn't that interesting? 
Think about that, that you bring your circumstance to God. You're thinking nothing could be more important than this. Nothing, nothing is hurting me more. Nothing is harder than this. And God, God is like, no, no, no. My number one concern is your spiritual condition and my number one concern is your forgiveness. No matter the circumstance, no matter the environment, he's going to address our spiritual condition first. And I feel like as Christians, we sometimes think, no, I got forgiven that one time when I prayed the sinner's prayer. Now I'm supposed to be out here like, I don't know, not sinning? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing out here, but I'm not still in this cycle. Oh, yes. We continue to be laying before God. And he's like, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Is the heart of the gospel that we understand this. John chapter 20, when Jesus commissioned his disciples, the risen Christ comes to them and says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Think about that. How did God bring life to creation. He breathed life into Adam to make him from a formless man into a living being. And what does Jesus do? He breathes life into us. That's why in Matthew, when he says, lose your life and take up mine. Think about how close Jesus would have had to be to his disciples to breathe on them. Like, have you felt someone breathing on you before? Again, back to the airplane, you know, you're, you're like, wow, that's too close. You know, I mean, really, you know, sometimes even with my husband, I'm like, I know, just a little, just a little space, right? That's the intimacy that we talked about last night, the intimacy of Christ. Just think about how close he wants to come to you so that you might receive from him. And what does he give his disciples? He says, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive sins, they are not forgiven. A very challenging passage. But the idea there is that the gospel is within you. The gospel is within you. The ability to be set free is within you. The ability to impart that freedom to others through forgiveness is within you. And we're standing over here on the sidelines when the power is here. The power is God. Because of your love, you let me know who I really am. Because of your truth, I realize I can't fix myself. Because of your forgiveness, I am set free. Freedom. This is the freedom cycle. When we accept his forgiveness, when we understand because of his character, I have been set free. We are able to live as 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What happens when we're forgiven? We experience a sense of healing and a sense of gratitude. And what happens when we are free? We grow in compassion and we grow in love for others. And then we're right back around again. The essence of God is love. When we understand his love, we feel secure. When we understand in that security, because God is very gentle with us, as we understand his love, he reveals truth, little by little, growing by growing. And in that truth, we're able to come and ask for forgiveness. Sometimes the truth is that we haven't forgiven someone. And we are able to offer forgiveness. In that forgiveness, when we experience it, we feel this healing and we have gratitude for freedom. And then freedom is what compels us to love, to all of the things that Jesus calls us to, to the ways that we express the glory of God in the world, both individually and collectively, both in our own homes as well as our churches. We express the glory of God because our freedom leads to ever-expanding love, more and more love, more and more love. And that begins again. Because what happens when we begin to love people? 
It is very challenging. That's what happens. When you begin to love people, when you begin to serve, you're like, yes, this is going to be great. I'll tell you, I grew up in an adoptive family. My youngest brother is adopted from Korea. It was a little bit of this like, yes, it'll be so great. It'll be so great. We'll be the adoptive family. Won't that be great? And then you actually adopt a child who is broken. There, there is nothing. Adoption is a redemptive story. It's not a hero story. Because adoption wouldn't exist except for the fall of humankind, right? So you're, so you're living in a broken story, and then you're like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. It's really, really hard to love. And then when you realize that it's hard, you come to your own truth. Oh, I'm not who I thought I was. We're not just the hero Christians, right? And when you get here, you're like, oh Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need your healing. We need your strength. And you continue that cycle, and you live into this freedom cycle. The freedom cycle allows you to rewrite your life story. You begin to see your past hurts differently. You begin to confront present struggles with different compassion and courage. And then you can embrace the future with trust and with joy. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to keep going. All of this is, if this is a lot, it's in the book. So if you, I'm going to keep going though. Okay, ready? Because here's the real stuff. This is how we know. This all sounds great, doesn't it? We're like, oh yeah, that's me. I feel great about this. Here's the thing. This is like a traffic circle, okay? This is a traffic circle and there's exit ramps in every single stage. There's an exit ramp all the time where we we embrace one part of God's character but we don't move to the next. And often for me, that's my best understanding of how to diagnose where I've kind of gone astray, where I've wandered out of the middle of God's will where I've stepped out of this middle place of where God is growing me and I'm back in my own sin, in my own selfishness, in my own way. Because we're all flesh and we're all spirit. And I like to tell my young people, we were talking a little bit ago, and I said, listen, the the darkness in you is dark and the lightness in you is light. There's not like a dim area. Like when when you're degenerate, you're degenerate. When you're regenerate, you're regenerate. Like when you're living in these places, they really are different. And all the time, our world, our idols, our own way is is drawing us out of this cycle. And oftentimes, it's actually in being drawn out that we realize that we're not there anymore. So I want to give you some of those things that I've seen be what happens when we go to one but not the next. Okay, so here we go. Some derailers, some off-ramps. The first one is love derailers. If you experience God's love, but you do not move towards God's truth you will have a distorted view of yourself. And I'm gonna use a big word called licentiousness. Licentiousness is the right word because it's the license to ill. It's just my license to do what I want. God loves me, and that means I can just live the way I want. I can just come back to his freedom anytime. It's, it's, we've, we've derailed at that point. We are no longer living in the truth. Proverbs 28.3. I'm sorry, before that one, 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we see God's love and we don't accept his truth, this is where Pharisees live. This is where we say, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 I know. I know, I know, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's your problem, it's you, right? And we all do this all the time. This is licentiousness. We're over here, we've left, we've left the place where we realize that we're broken, where we still are being set free, where we have our own blind spots and our stuff. Actually, to be honest with you guys, the hardest place here for me has been as a parent, 
You know, you're the parent and you're like, it's my way or the highway. You know, you just, especially with young kids. And you can be like, where am I? I'm, I'm, I can lose track of my own blind spots in this. Like, I'm not a perfect parent, you know? You, you can lose a little bit of that right here when you derail from love, from truth, okay? So let's say you get through love and you go to truth and you reckon with the truth of yourself, but you don't desire forgiveness, nor do you extend it to others. You will off-ramp into denial and blame. This is where victims live. This is the place where we say, God loves me and I know the truth about myself, but it's because of my upbringing and that's, it's, it's, this is the way it's gonna be. Or God loves me and I know the truth about myself, but if you know what that person did to me, I can't ever forgive them. God loves me and I know the truth about myself, but I, I can never change. Like this is just a part of who I am. It's just my personality, right? Denial and blame are over here. And this is very, very easy to fall into, particularly in challenging relationships. We may, we may stay on this cycle all the time, but there's just, there's just some people or there's some circumstances, there's something over here where unforgiveness lives. And this is a little bit of that closed door. We close that door to our heart and we leave it back there. And God desires to set us free from those things. He desires for us to say, as we talked about on Tuesday, I can experience deep compassion for someone who has hurt me. So we derail here in denial and blame. If we know God's love, we accept his truth, we desire his forgiveness. We desire his forgiveness, but we don't experience his freedom. And oh, I just know so, so many people who live between forgiveness and freedom. Then we will derail here into guilt and fear. This is the guilty Christian who says, but if you knew what I really did, you would know. And how do I know God really loves me? And how do I know that God really forgives me? And they, and they just keep beating themselves up over and over and over again about the same thing. And they're like, I know you're telling me that God forgives me, but I'm not experiencing that. And if you, I can't let go of this thing because if, if you knew what I had done, and, and they're constantly living, like they just, they've dug themselves this pit and they're now in the pit and they're not gonna, like the, no one can throw down a ladder. They've just gotta climb their own way out. Nobody can help them. And it's an interesting and weird phenomenon because here's the truth of this. And I get to say this because I don't know any one of you. So I'm not talking to anybody in this room. But the reality is, I remember one client that I had who had been through a horrific, abusive childhood. And, and believe me, when you have been through abuse, especially of a sexual nature, it says in 1 Thessalonians that a sexual sin is particularly unique because it is a sin against the body. It doesn't say it's a sin that's worse than other sins. It says it's, it's hard because it's a sin against the body. Things have happened in our body, especially when there's been sexual sin, where our minds have been rewired, and it's very challenging to come out. It's possible, but challenging. So when people have been through abuse, particularly that kind, or they have an incident of that nature or something in there, it's hard to believe. The work of belief is difficult, but it's not impossible. And so I was with this woman, and she had been through horrific abuse, and we had spent many, many hours together, much counsel. And at one point I said to her, do you know that this self-pity is the dark side of the coin of pride? Because pride says, I'm too good for the cross. And self-pity says, I'm too bad for the cross. But both are a rejection of the cross. They are both a rejection of the sacrifice of God. And that is hard to say to someone because they feel so deeply that they're not worthy. But I'm like, you're not worthy and neither am I. We hang our worth on the character of God. 
Now, there's many other things to work out in theology when you've experienced very hard things. We're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. But the reality is we, we have to face that. If I am saying I'm too bad for the cross, then I am still choosing my own reality, yes? I am choosing my own reality. I'm not saying you're going to feel it. I'm not saying you're going to feel it right away. But the willful act of belief is believing that God said, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. We begin to believe what he says is true and rewrite that script. Little by little, time by time, we begin to rewrite that script. So, Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who trust in me will never be put to shame. We can live in that. So finally, a freedom derailer. If you live in God's freedom, but you don't allow his love to shape your freedom, then you're just going to derail over here into pride and foolishness. You'll use his freedom to justify your actions rather than letting that freedom lead you into deeper sacrificial love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And this one time, the example that I have of this is this whole way of figuring out where am I and how do I come back into God's love. And I remember once I was scrubbing the counter. I don't know why all of my illustrations involve chores. Apparently I hate chores. And I was scrubbing the counter and there's nothing worse than cleaning up breakfast at 10 p.m. I mean, there's just something wrong about that. So there's already an injustice that has been served in my home because I'm cleaning up breakfast at 10 p.m. And I'm, I'm trying now to get some egg yolk off of the counter, which also is, I don't know. I mean, they should, they should patent egg yolk because it is one of the strongest substances in the universe when it has been sitting for a while. And so I'm like scrubbing it and I'm talking. I'm just running my mouth. My husband's watching TV. I'm running my mouth and I'm like, these kids, I can't believe these kids. They're so entitled. I can't believe it. we're not raising them spiritually. Like, you know, just going on and on. And he, he says, what? And I was like, what? He goes, what, do you need something? And I'm like, and all of a sudden I heard everything that I had just said. And I was like, no, I don't need anything. I'm so glad you did not hear everything that I just said. Because it was a lot worse than what I just told you. And, um, <laughs> and I was writing this chapter. And I was like, okay, let me put this diagram to the test. Let me put it to the test for a second. What's going on in my heart? And what I realized is I have not, I, I've derailed between freedom and love. Because I know that I've been set free. I know that I'm a broken person who's been forgiven. I knew that and I knew that that day. But that freedom wasn't leading me into sacrificial love. Because I had yelled at one of the kids earlier and then put them to bed. You know, they had gone to bed mad. And there's something about that. You just, mm, if you think about it for a second, you're like, I don't like that, you know? And so what I thought was, where, where on the freedom cycle am I? I said, oh, this is what I've done. I've just derailed into my own pride because I want it my way and I want it to be right. And I derailed when I had the opportunity for sacrificial love. I had the opportunity to engage with vulnerability with one of my children. That's a very, very minor example, but I hope it helps you understand, hmm, what am I doing right now? Like when I'm blaming everybody for my problems, where, where have I derailed and how do I come back into the essence of God? Because this is the, the central component of who he is. When you find that you've taken an off-ramp, the only way to get back on track is identify the aspect of God's character, his essence that you've missed, and come back to it. Come back to it again and again. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this. God has united you with Christ Jesus. We talked about intimacy last night. God has united you with Christ Jesus. We talked about the glory of God. Richard talked about the glory of God. 
In the New Testament, your body is a temple. Your body is the temple in which God's glory resides. Christ Jesus is united with you, intimate with you, as you abide with him, as you abide with Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom. God made us right, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Within you is a united being. You have been married with Christ. Your body is the temple on which God's glory resides. And in the middle of this is the way that you keep coming back to be united. Not so that you can think in your mind, I'm going to do more works to show that I'm a disciple, but so that your very essence begins to be changed little by little, moment by moment, action after action, as you're curious about yourself without condemnation, but for transformation, you begin to be curious and you say, God, where have I wandered and how can I come back? Where have I wandered and how can I come back? And little by little, on that spiritual molecular level, you begin to be changed. And the person that you were a year ago or two years ago is not the person that you are today. And the person that you will be in five years is not the person that you are today. The cycle is a place of continual growth and transformation in Christ. I'll share with you guys a story that I feel like has illustrated for me, this for me since I especially like to tell you how much I don't like chores. And so back in that season where I said I didn't get a master's degree for a dishwasher, I wrote my first book, which is called She's Got Issues, obviously autobiographical. And I was talking about this process of sanctification. This is what I love to talk about is how, how do we really change? How do human beings really change in a world that is hard and in minds that get on tracks and in, in places that are dark and in the trouble? How is it? Because God promises it for us and I so deeply want it. I want it for me and I want it for you. And so I've been writing about change and I, I've written all these things and I'm, I'm working through it and I'm thinking about sanctification and a little bit of time goes by and my oldest is no longer a preschooler, and he's in, in elementary school, and he has this assignment, and he has to make a family totem pole. And so they take tissue boxes, and they wrap them in brown paper bags, and they're going to they're gonna make the family, and the dad's at the bottom, and the mom, and then the people in the family, all in order, oldest to youngest, and they're going to be stacked together, and we're going to represent our family legacy on this totem pole. And so he brings home this piece of art. I think I have a picture of it um, in here. Here it is. Okay, so here is the artwork. And so I begin to ask him about the animals, because he had to choose an animal for each member of the family. And so you see that the bottom one is dad is a lion. And um, I mean, mm, you know, you're like, oh, that's good because Jesus is a lion. So we're probably doing okay. Um, <laughs> and then the second one, I said, what's that, honey? That second one, he said, that's you, mom. I said, what animal is that? And he said, that's a deer. And I was like, a deer, really? Why did you pick a deer? And um, he's, he was about in third grade. He said, because you're strong and gentle. And I was like, at me. <laughs> this mom, this mom, because I was not experiencing strong and gentle in myself, right? I'm experiencing all the torque and all the sin and all the limitations. And I have to live with the person that I was when I was 12 and 15 and 22, right? But outside, someone who loves me was seeing a different essence coming forth, right? And it wasn't in my own strength because I'm thinking, I'm not strong and gentle. You know, I didn't feel that way. But what happens when we abide in Christ, when we're united with Christ, is that as he begins to redeem your past and you're working through that with him and you're in that, what's happening on the outside is you begin to display his glory. You begin to be a more accurate image of Christ to those around you. You might not even know what's happening. Romans 12, do not be conformed 
the patterns of this world, but what? Be transformed. Be transformed is a passive act. You're just actively not conforming. You're actively choosing to believe. You're doing the work of belief. That's the active part. That's your job. But what's happening in you is that you are being transformed as Christ begins to own more and more territory of your heart, as he begins to take over more and more of your life. This progressive revelation of freedom and joy and love is ours, and it never ends. It's from now until we cross over to eternity. So don't stand on that life and death line. Don't let that testimony stay where it was in junior high. But start asking God, what are you doing in my life right now? How can I bear witness to you right now? God, how do you want to do miracles in my own heart right now? In the way that I love people, in the way that I forgive, in the way that I engage with my challenging relationships, in the things that I care about. God, would you do that in my heart? That is what he offers us in the freedom cycle. We do not just become people who do wise things. It says in scripture, we actually become wisdom in Christ. We become wisdom with Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you. We thank you that not only have you given us minds to engage with you, and the ability to read and to have scripture in front of us, but also a country where we're free to gather like this. And we, 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 Lord, we, don't, we wanna take that seriously. Like not everybody gets to do this. And so we ask you, God, because of much, whom much is given, much is required, we ask you, God, that you would take us to that next level of holiness and righteousness in our hearts. If we're feeling fearful of what you might reveal, Lord, just remind us of your love, that the, the ultimate principle of who you are is love. For you so loved the world. For we know what love is, God, because you gave your son. You gave us the, 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 the most powerful example of how much you love us by sacrificing your own son so that we might know righteousness, so we might know presence and be in communion with you. So Lord, any place along this that we've heard something that's just sparked in our heart, God, would we start a conversation with you? Would you lead us into the truth? Would you allow us to embrace forgiveness and just step into freedom and say, yes, I am broken. I am a, God came to save sinners of whom I am the worst, just like the Apostle Paul. But because he did, I am set free. And because I am free, I can walk forward in confidence and live out this freedom life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.